Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, November 29th. Cases of sextortion are on the rise in Canada, and according to cybertip.ca, they received an average of 40 reports of sextortion per week in the month of September, and it's only getting worse. We discuss the issue and get some tips on how you can protect your kids from falling victim with Jennifer Flanagan, co-founder and CEO of Actua. Next, we hear details on a new Canadian-made drug currently in clinical trials that's showing great promise for curing type 1 diabetes. We speak with Dr. Tom Elliott, medical director at BC Diabetes and principal researcher on the study. Then we continue our conversation on the new diabetes drug trial with Caden Ellis, a Calgary man participating in the study whose results have allowed him to end his daily use of insulin to manage his type 1 diabetes. Still seeing quite a bit of volume on Crowchild Trail over on the west end of the city. For the northbound drive, there was an incident just after 17th Avenue in the bus lane. The backups are still down towards about Glenmore Trail. And then coming out of the northwest, southbound lanes are slow from Brisbane Drive down towards the Kensington area. We're also still seeing quite a bit of volume on eastbound Glenmore as you make your way across the reservoir towards 14th Street. But then from that point, you've got a decent drive towards Deerfoot. Wednesday's Lotto 649 Gold Ball Jackpot is $44 million or the guaranteed $1 million prize. Plus, the classic 5 million jackpot must be of legal age. From the QR Calgary Traffic Helicopter, I'm Brandi Warren. Tragic story out of BC over the weekend brought this topic into focus after a 12-year-old boy took his own life because he was the victim of sextortion. How common is it? How can we protect our kids from it? Joining us to talk about the issue is this morning Jennifer Flanagan, co-founder and president and CEO of Actua. Hi, Jennifer. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning. We'll talk to you about some stats and, and what we can do about this. It's uh, just something horrific for anybody who's got kids mm-hmm. in their lives. But just to begin mm-hmm. with, uh, can you tell us, Actua, what what do you do? What's your organization all about? So Actua is a national organization that works to increase the confidence and the skills of youth across the country in science and technology. So we do a lot of work on digital skills and and helping kids stay safe online. So being safe online and having the skills to do that is a really important part of digital skills, and that's what we work with youth on uh, right across the country. What falls under the umbrella of sextortion, Jennifer, for those who've mm-hmm. never heard of it? I understand there's probably not one main lane. There must be mm-hmm. different, different types of this scam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really good question, and it's really important that people understand exactly what it is so that they can talk to their kids about exactly what it is. So essentially what happens is it is it anyone, but in this case we're talking about kids, um, start interacting online with someone that they think is someone else. So they another person is posing as, you know, a, a, a teenager. They become very familiarized with that person very quickly because maybe the youth has not um, you know, set other privacy settings so they know what school they go to. They can identify who their friends are. Um, so they quickly become familiar and um, essentially in the course of that interaction, sexually explicit images are shared. And as soon as that is shared, they become victimized. So they, you know, they'll, they'll share an image and then the person um, who is a criminal will say, okay, I'm going to share this image very broadly if you don't pay me money or you don't give me more, <coughs> excuse me, images. So it, sextortion is, is basically blackmailing for, for money or for images um, online. And youth are falling victim to this in you know, alarming numbers. You're not kidding. Canadian Centre for Child Protection says in September, their national tip line for reporting online child sexual abuse was receiving an average 40 reports of sextortion per week. Today, it's up to 50 per week. Jennifer, I know right here in my own 
you know, just my friend group, I have two parents who their kids have been targeted and fell victim to it. So it is happening in our communities. We have to talk Mm -hmm. about it. Mm -hmm. Who exactly is being targeted? Is it different for boys and girls? Okay, so the numbers and the numbers that you just shared, um, 80 to 90% of those numbers are for boys. These Boys are targeted more than girls or they fall victim more than girls um, do. But it's youth, you know, previously it was youth sort of between the ages of uh, 14 and 17. This this awful case in BC was a 12-year-old boy. So the, the numbers are increasing, the ages are decreasing, um, and, you know, it can happen to anyone. And this is the message that I have to parents. This, no matter, you know, uh, where you're from, how, uh, you know, who you are, this is something that can happen to to any child. And the number one thing that parents need to do is to talk to their kids exactly about what these dangers are so that, you know, kids can have that in the back of their mind constantly. Like, this is this is this something that, you know, is this someone that's trying to to, um, to victimize me? And and you know the most important message I have for parents is that one, it can happen to you. Two, there is something you can do about it to help prevent it, and that is talking to your kids on a regular basis about online safety. And is the issue, Jennifer, the fact that, you know, we would explain to our kids not to walk down a dark alley at midnight when it's dark, um, you know, but it's very concrete in the parameters mm-hmm. we're putting around it. Is the issue the prevalence of these platforms that the different scammers mm-hmm. can, can use? Um, I think it's the, the, the increase is really caused by a couple of factors. One is that Yes, of course, we, youth have way more access to social media at way younger age. Um, it's also that we're coming out of a time where a lot of kids felt very isolated, so they're looking for social connections. Um, and, you know, we haven't, as a society, schools that haven't caught up to these really critical conversations about online safety. For parents, though, they can have very... Uh, direct, specific conversations with their kids about what this is. So defining, and I know it's really tough for a lot of parents to have this conversation, but I can't tell, uh, you know, I can't be alarmist enough about this. Tell them what sextortion is. So define it. Tell them this is what can happen. Someone can pose as someone that makes themselves very familiar to you. Because a lot of kids will say, I would never do that. Mm. I would never talk to someone I don't know. But the, the, the problem is, is that these people are extremely sophisticated. They're criminals. They know how to make a child believe that they know people that they know, right? So, oh, I'm a friend of hers, and I've heard about you, and, you know, I saw your photos, and I go to a, this school. So it, it's so sophisticated, and so it's really important that you use detailed information with your kids. And cybertip.ca, which is a, um, a site that is, you know, updated on a regular basis by RCMP and police services, has information for parents on how they can talk to their kids, um, and and really, it's about being specific. It's not just it's not okay anymore to say, look, you should be careful online mm-hmm. and you know protect your private information. It's really important that these conversations be much more specific. And don't bury your head in the sand if you think it's Absolutely. not happening and your kids don't know about it. They do. Uh, how mm-hmm. is it different now with AI? Is that contributing to the rise in sextortion? I mean, AI. Uh, like I, I am, I am optimistic because I think there are a lot of AI solutions that are going to identify this as it's happening and help prevent it. So there's a lot of researchers in Canada right now that are working on AI tools that can sort of, you know, identify when this kind of exploiting conversations start to happen and identify that to the platform. Um, AI generally is something that kids are encountering every day on something like, you know, for example, on Snapchat, which is part of where you know a lot of these problems are happening um so it's really important again to have that conversation to say what is ai how 
you know, how do you need to think critically about the information that is being generated to you? So the misinformation and disinformation is a really big um, issue. So this is about critical skills. And, you know, one of the things we do at Actua is getting kids to really think and, and verify information that they, they find online. These are incredible tools. We want kids using technology, mm-hmm. but if they're not using it safely, then um, it's just, you know, it's a non-starter. It's a, a terrifying and a timely topic. Thanks so much for your time, Jennifer. We appreciate it. Thanks for covering it. My pleasure. Yeah. Jennifer Flanagan, co-founder, president, and CEO of Actua. Online, it's Actua, A-C-T-U-A dot C-A. Or, of course, for more tips, literally go to cybertip.ca. Right around this time of year, last year, we spoke with Dr. Tom Elliott, medical director at BC Diabetes and principal investigator into a drug that could potentially, at that time when we spoke, cure type 1 diabetes. Well, Dr. Elliott is back with us this morning to discuss the clinical trials and the impact of this drug. Good morning to you, sir. Thanks so much for joining us again. Good morning, Sue. Thanks for having me on again. Uh, Can you just kind of uh, give us a a quick reminder about the differences between type 1 and type 2 diabetes when we're talking? Yes, type 1 diabetes typically comes on under the age of 35. People need insulin and without insulin they die. They have to stay on insulin the rest of their life. Type 2 diabetes typically comes on after the age of 50. People typically respond well to changes in lifestyle, losing weight and consuming fewer carbs. And they they often need insulin 10 or 15 years after the diagnosis. Mm Okay, so type 2, technically, there's lifestyle changes that we can make, and you may be relying on insulin a little later. But up until this point, Dr. Elliott, when it comes to type 1, you have it, and uh, historically, you have it for your entire life. Is that correct? That's right. You have it for your entire life, and you stay on insulin every day of your life. You know, five shots of insulin or an insulin pump attached to your body forever. That's right. So let's talk about the new drug that we were introduced to last year. Where are we in terms of clinical trials and, and you know, how, how successful has it been? Well, the, the drug's called Ustakinumab and it, it goes under the trade name of Stellara. It's widely used for colitis and for a type of arthritis caused by psoriasis. Um, in, in our clinical trial, we've got about 50 people on it. Um, for, for, for type 1 diabetes and another study was done in the UK in children using it. So there's a lot of experience with the drug. It's, we're, we're, it's, it's absolutely safe, um, it's expensive and we think it's helpful in type 1 diabetes. I'm wondering if, if in plain English you can explain how this drug works and what makes it unique from previous treatments and attempts. Okay, well we're all born with about 10 billion cells that make insulin. They're called beta cells. If you have type 1 diabetes, your, body, your body's immune system has started to destroy those 10 billion. So by the time you become symptomatic, you're thirsty, you're peeing a lot, you're losing weight, you're probably down to your last 2 billion. So you've lost 80% of your beta cells. What this drug, ustekinumab, does is it delays or prevents the destruction of the remaining cells. So if you can get there early, you can preserve the cells and hopefully grow them back so that you don't actually need to take insulin. That's, that's the theory on how it works. 
Has it been as promising and and as impactful as you thought it would be, Doctor? Yes, so it, it really is. So, so you know, we've, we, we've had about 50 people. We've got 50 people in the study. We need 17 more. Um, we, they, the age group is 18 to 35. Um, if you've had diabetes less than 100 days, you're eligible. And what we found is that, um, we, you know, two-thirds of the people in this study, Sue and Andy, get, get the real thing. The other third get a placebo. So we don't know exactly which drug or whether they got a placebo, but we've seen a whole bunch of people who either don't need insulin at all or who need less insulin than we predict. So the, the, the evidence, although it's inconclusive, strongly suggests a benefit for people getting this drug. All right, we're speaking with Dr. Tom Elliott, Medical Director at BC Diabetes. And uh, it's, you say it's, it's promising at this point and looking good, although you're still in the midst of the research. Can you walk us through, Dr. Elliott, the process from this research and from these trials to, to maybe seeing something like this to market? How, what is the process and how long does something like that take? Okay, so, so let's say we finish the study, we, we get the next uh, 17 people we wait for them to complete the study, which is another 18 months. So then six months later, so let's say two years from now, we'll have all the data. It'll be published scientifically. And if, as we suspect, the story is a strong one, that, that there's benefit, then the, the, the health authorities, you know, Alberta Health and BC and across Canada and across the rich world, they look at this data and they say to themselves, you know, is is this sufficient for us to have this drug available to doctors treating people with diabetes? In other words, does everybody who develops diabetes, you know, uh, type one diabetes get this drug? Um, that's that's the that's the bottom line. And we you know, we, we don't want to jump to conclusions. But if the evidence is strong, then we think it should be used routinely. That's right. It would be game-changing for so many people. Uh, Dr. Elliot, I'm curious, is there, do you have kind of a rough estimate? What does it cost to even get to this point when, you're, when you've come up with a new drug to, to develop it, to put it out into clinical trials, et cetera? What, what's the cost in something like this? Well, well, I mean, the interesting thing about ustekinumab is that it, it's established that, you know, all of the, the R&D, which was probably, let's say, $300 million, it, it's already been spent uh, developing an indication for, for people with colitis and, and psoriatic arthritis. So, so this, is, this is a kind of an interesting exception where the drug's already available. I can tell you that the, um, it, it's about $100,000 per year for treatment with this drug. Um, it's about to go generic, meaning that, that one of the generic manufacturers could take it up and, and probably sell it for a good deal less, maybe maybe one-third the price. So even, but even at $30,000, it's, it's expensive. So mm. it, it's, it's a big ask of, uh, of our various uh, provincial health providers to cover it. So they need, they need good evidence. Incredible. Uh, thank you for bringing us the update. We appreciate it, Dr. Elliott. Thanks a lot, Sue and Andy. Bye. Bye. It's Dr. Tom Elliott, Medical Director at BC Diabetes and Principal Investigator. If
you live with diabetes. You know how much of a big deal yeah. this could be. We've talked a lot about it over the past, I'd say, even a couple of decades, maybe 20 years. We talked about the islets uh, that would be taken from the pancreas of pigs, and that could be it. We've, we've talked about, you know, the, the lifestyle changes when it comes to type 2, but this seems very concrete, mm-hmm. and we don't want to put the, uh, you know, horse, uh, the carriage before the horse, but at the same time, these all these steps are being taken, and yeah. he said a couple of years maybe. I mean, if this, if this continues on, this would be... Uh, groundbreaking uh, for people with diabetes. And we have brilliant minds in this country, don't we? That there are things like this being created by the smart people who are Canadian in Canadian research facilities, et cetera. It's amazing. Absolutely. I mean, and this is the thing where if you're talking to your kids and they're in high school and they're looking for a career. Here you go. Perhaps this is it. This science being put into motion, which I think we did also, if you want to take one positive from the pandemic and all, all these researchers, many right. of which we interviewed, coming together to find a vaccine in a record amount of time. Science. It's yeah, amazing. Absolutely. We just had the opportunity to speak with Dr. Tom Elliott. And, of course, it's a drug trial that he's very much involved in, a clinical trial that has the potential to actually cure type 1 diabetes. We're going to continue the conversation. We have the opportunity to speak with Albertan Caden Ellis, who is part of this clinical trial. Good morning to you, Caden. Good morning. How are you? Good, good. Uh, well, let's start with your story and your journey with type 1 diabetes. How long have you had it, and uh, what sort of an impact does having type 1 diabetes have on your life? Sure. I've had it now... Coming up on three years, I was diagnosed when I was 25, um, and it immediately had a huge impact. Uh, obviously, I went from being a, a, a pretty regular guy for the most part to um, having to worry about constantly checking blood sugars and being careful of what I was eating and bolusing for insulin and um, really all the headache and, and stress that someone with type 1 diabetes goes through. Um, but mine was pretty short-lived for the most part. I, I got involved with Dr. Elliott's clinical trial pretty early um, and had quite um, successful results for the most part. Um, so it's almost given me my life back is, is a way to put it. That's awesome. So can you kind of explain that a little bit? Like, you know, were you taking a needle every day and now nothing? How does that work? Yeah, so um, with type 1, you have to bolus. Uh, you give yourself insulin a needle um, or people do it by a pump for um, the carbs they eat, which pretty much everything has carbs these days. Um, and so that, that was, you know, several times a day taking insulin, uh, depending on what I eat or ate, sorry. And then um, with Dr. Elliott's trial, uh, the, the drug trial they're using, um, by making some kind of lifestyle changes and also with the drug, I was able to um, slowly wean myself kind of off insulin to a point that with um, help from their research team and my own endocrinologist, there was a decision to try me without insulin, um, and that's where I've been at since. Wow, incredible. So so for those folks who don't live with diabetes, what sorts of feelings do you have in your body when you're off, when you know you need a hit of insulin? What does that feel like, Caden? Yeah, um, you know, for me, it was... Um, just kind of like run down groggy feeling like it was covid or just kind of the tail end of or sorry middle of covid um so i was playing hockey and, and i felt horrible like i had the flu i had no energy um felt like i couldn't catch my breath and i just thought it was because i hadn't done much over covid that was locked inside um but then that persisted and it was just like this run down terrible feeling like you almost have like the worst headache sometimes um or like the muscle aches that you'd feel like you wanted to throw up constantly um yeah every every kind of thing you could think of and i know for each diabetic it's kind of different when you're in um it's called dk 
um, diabetic ketoacidosis. But for me, it was, yeah, just that rundown, terrible feeling, um, like I was sick constantly. So what was it like then, Caden, when you got into this clinical trial? You're taking a drug that's, you know, you're, I hate to say it, but you're kind of a guinea pig, right, to see yeah. how, how this goes. Were you scared or were you just, because you felt so crummy before, this, you felt like, you know, anything would be better? Yeah, well, that's exactly it. For me, I I, I signed up for it or I reached out to them while I was in the hospital still um, for that exact reason. I was like, anything is better than this. So if you want to trial me as a guinea pig, be my guest, have at it. So It's interesting. We had the that's opportunity, awesome. yes, uh, to uh, speak with Dr. Tom Elliott about 15 minutes ago about the study, about the parameters and, and the success that he has seen. Uh, but I'm, I'm curious as to whether or not you've had uh, conversations further down the line, Caden, because it is a trial. Does this mean that at some point your trial is going to end and you'll have to go back to taking insulin like you did beforehand? Or have you had discussions that you'll be able to continue on? Yeah, so I actually finished the trial, uh, like my part or in the trial ended, I don't know, just over a year ago. Um, and so that was a discussion that was had. It was whether or not I was going to be able to stay on it. Um, so my endocrinologist who who kind of was um, aware of the, the trial and stayed up to date, she prescribed me the drug off-label. Um, so I'm still able to take it every two months um, based on her decision, and it's still working. Uh, unfortunately, just taking it off-label. Um, insurance doesn't pay for it, so it's a pretty hefty bill every two months. No doubt, but boy, to feel better, I guess it's it's worth the price in the end, right? Thank you so much for sharing your experience, Caden. I really appreciate it. No, thank you for having me. I really appreciate you guys looking into this. Thank you. Caden Ellis, living with type 1 diabetes, part of a clinical trial for that new drug, and, and it's working for him. So clearly, you know, there's hope out there, right? That that just is what brings that home. Absolutely. And uh, you had a great question there, Sue, and I usually don't give you a lot of credit for great questions because <laughs> I don't want you to fair. think that That's you're fair. better than me. Yeah. Um, but the fact, <laughs> the leap of faith it takes to, to put your hand in your, uh, you know, your health, you yeah. know, to, towards science and say, okay, I'm, I'm here. Raise your hand. I, I believe be in science. I'm yeah. going to do it. And I'm going to, I'm going to be one of these trailblazers. This has not been done. Hence the, <laughs> hence that their new trial yeah. and, uh, you know, experimental trial. Amazing. Um, and the results are there. So, I mean, incredible for Caden. And, you know, is this something that you'd sign up for? If you particularly, you know, it's interesting because, yes, yeah, some people from from childhood, for three years, he has dealt with this. And that was enough for him to say, I want to get off this train. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can imagine how much of a, it was a blip for three years. But for those folks who've had this for their entire life and right? been living with to diabetes, have, managing it. To have something like this, you know, a, 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 an end an end place where it could finally be over and you could feel better. A Canadian-made solution, Love that. perhaps.